And so I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to Colossians. We're going to look at, at several things in the Bible this morning. In fact, I'm going to break this really down into three, three parts. When, when John, excuse me, when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Colossae, that's what this is, it's a, it's a letter, he was addressing uh, some, some false teaching. And so what you're going to find in the book of Colossians is a very simple, clear presentation of the gospel. Colossians is just a great book to read if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I, again, it explains some things that I think are so helpful in understanding the cross and understanding salvation. So look with me in chapter 2. Notice how, notice how he begins here in verse 13. That's where I want to pick it up. It says, first of all, you were dead because of your sins. Now, let me just stop there because I want to, I don't want to go past this. That's an important point. The Bible describes us before we became a Christian as dead. Now, obviously, it's not talking about physical death. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't die physically right then. So the death that it's talking about here or the dead that it's talking about is spiritual death. In other words, we're separated from God because of our sin. And we're all that way. We were born that way. It's a, it's a sinful nature that we have. And so the Bible says we're dead. Now, again, as a Christian, we read that and we remember what happened when we got saved. We went from being dead to alive. We went from being spiritually dead to now spiritually alive. Now, notice what it says. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now, what does that mean? Well, you find out by going back up to verse 11. Look what it says. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So, anything that has to do with salvation is always internal. The Jews, men, were circumcised as a sign of the covenant, and it was an outward symbol. But Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, said, Nicodemus, it has nothing to do with external things. You've got to be born again. You've got you to have a heart change. You know, I thought about this morning the way that we encourage you to, to, to come in in just a, a reverent, just a, a little different tone. And, and yet, I just want you to know that God's not impressed with our reverence. <laughs> he looks at our heart. Now, if your heart is right and it's expressed in reverence to God, then it's true. I, I didn't want anything this morning to be a, 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 a conforming to some type of, uh, you know, Ritual that we have to follow when we do the Lord's Supper. Listen, God looks at your heart this morning. He knows how you walked in here. He knows what's going in internally. And, and the Lord's Supper, really, it, it's, it's a lot about the cup and the bread, but it's about our heart. It's about what Jesus wants to do in our heart. And so he's just saying right here, you are dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, and then it says, then God made you alive with Christ. 
And here it is. For he forgave all your sins. We sing a lot about forgiveness. A lot of the songs that we sing on Sunday morning have to do with forgiveness. The Old and New Testament, the themes are, are in both books about forgiveness. The Christian life is about realizing your need for forgiveness. The Lord's Supper is about forgiveness. It's about what Jesus did on the cross when he suffered and died so that we might have our sins removed. How? Because he took the punishment for us. It was our punishment that we should have been on the cross for, but he took it instead. You, you come this morning with a full understanding that you are forgiven. That's what that little cup and that little little wafer is to do is to remind you of what Jesus did to provide forgiveness. Notice what he says in verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In other words, what, what Paul does here is kind of give us a, a courtroom scene where you've got, a, you've got a judge sitting here and then you walk into the court and you're found guilty. You're guilty. We, we all are guilty. We all have sinned, the Bible says. And so the judge is getting ready to, to, to declare the, the, the sentencing, and Jesus steps in and says, I'll take his place. No punishment for him. God didn't just, just look away from our sin. Jesus said, let the sin be put on me. And so the Bible, Paul uses a description that it was nailed to a cross. Now, that meant something to the readers here because when the Romans would crucify someone, the crime that the person that was being crucified committed would be written on a piece of paper and nailed to the top of the cross. Maybe some of you have seen pictures of, of Jesus on the cross, and they'll have that, that white paper up there, and really what was written on it was what the Romans felt like the Pharisees had accused Jesus of, and that was he was the king. Jesus considered himself God. And so the Romans, just to put something up there to say, okay, this is why Jesus was crucified, he was claiming to be the king. That's not why Jesus was crucified. Paul just clarifies that, and he said, our sins were nailed to the cross. Our sins were put up there at the top to let us know that Jesus died because of our sins. I, mean, I love how he puts it here. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he nailed them to the cross. Now, here's, here's, here's the great understanding of forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness is free. I mean, the Bible makes it clear that there was nothing we did that we earned any kind of act that Jesus did for us on the cross. I, we read the scripture from Romans chapter 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible is clear that we are saved by grace. It, we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Forgiveness is free. That's another reason we celebrate this morning. <laughs> we, had, we had nothing to do with this cross. It was all God's love. Every bit of it. All of it. And the second part is just as glorious as the first. Not only is it free, 
the forgiveness that we have, but it's complete. That means that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of our sins. He died for our, our past sins, our present sins, and all the sins we'll ever commit. That's hard for us because we, after we became a Christian, we continued to sin. We didn't just miraculously stop sinning, which we did. That won't happen until we get to heaven. When we're in heaven, we'll have a perfect body. We'll be in a perfect place. No more sin. Can I get an amen? Somebody ought to say amen for that. Because I'm telling you what, as a Christian, I just get tired of sin. Tired of seeing it. Tired of dealing with it in my own life. But when you come to the Lord's Supper, you take that little cup and that wafer and you remember, I receive forgiveness freely. And that forgiveness was complete. Complete. Now that's amazing. Now look what else he says. Look at verse 15. He says, in this way, he's talking about the cross here. He says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Paul is just saying, hey, get the full picture here of the cross. I mean, we got forgiveness by the cross, but the power of sin, the, the sin that we're forgiven of, the power was broken at the cross. That means we don't have to sin. We don't have to continue to sin. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. You don't have an excuse anymore of, I, I, I just sinned. No. We continue to sin, yes, but we have the power not to. And so when you come to the Lord's Supper, there's a huge issue here of sin. Sin that's been forgiven. Sin that Jesus died for and was nailed to this cross all of our sin and he offered it to us freely and that forgiveness is complete but we come here still dealing with sin so what do we do with it i want you to i want you to go out of colossians to john chapter 13 The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, record all the upper room experience. In other words, when, when Jesus had Passover with his disciples, and, and uh, it was the night before he was crucified. All the Gospels recorded. They recorded a little differently. John records the most of that experience in the upper room. And he begins it by when the disciples came in. Jesus told the disciples, hey, go get, go get food for the Passover. It was Thursday night. And so they were to celebrate the Passover, which is something they did for years and years and years. Every year they would go and to travel to Jerusalem. They would slaughter a lamb. They would, they would have this Passover feast. And so Jesus was doing that with his disciples. So they, they came to this upper room that Jesus said, all right, I've, I've already got it taken care of. A guy will point you to a room that we'll meet in. All that was laid out. You can see it there in the story. And then Jesus walks in, and the disciples are there. And the first thing that they're to do as Jews, when they traveled and met somewhere together, or even just in their own home, they'd have their feet washed. That was just a common thing. And the, and the, 
the servants, the lowest of the servants, would wash the feet. Well, John records that, but it's interesting because the disciples should have done that themselves. One of them, one of the 12 should have said, okay, who's washing the feet? Okay, I mean, Peter maybe. I mean, he was kind of the leader, outspoken. You know, maybe, maybe it should have been Peter, maybe, maybe John. I don't know, but none of them did it. So the Bible says Jesus took some water, took a towel, and he went around and washed the feet of all his disciples. Great model of servanthood. But when he gets to Peter, notice what happens. John chapter 13, if I can turn there. Notice the conversation here. He gets to Peter, and this is what happens. Verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So in this foot washing, which is a great example of being a servant, that's what Jesus would teach his disciples to go and do, he gives a great lesson right here in the midst of it. Remember, this is the night that he would, he would take a cup and take the bread and would tell his disciples to do this in remembrance of him. So in this conversation, he tells Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Now, we know he's not talking about a bath. He's not talking about physical washing. He's talking about being saved. He's talking about being forgiven, being cleansed. The Bible makes a great metaphor of, of, of the cleansing of our sins by using water, of being washed clean. Well, that's what he does here. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Verse 9, so Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Now notice the reply here. Here's the point. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. You, you, you get that. He's just saying, Peter, you don't need to be saved again. I think there's a great understanding and teaching here that if, if we were to lose our salvation, that means when you come to the Lord's Supper, it, it'd just be a, a good opportunity to be saved again because we got sin. No. Jesus said, you know, Peter, when you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven completely. You don't need to have that, that washing of your sins away. But sometimes your hands get dirty. Sometimes you continue to sin, and you need, you need your hands washed. I, I remember growing up, <laughs> my mother would drill into my sister and I every time we sat down to eat. We heard this. Have you washed your hands? And I lied so many times. Because <laughs> I didn't want to get up and go wash my hands. I'm sitting there looking at the food, and my mom would say, washed your hands? Mm-hmm. Why? It's just important to come to the table clean. I think Jesus was making a point even for us. You come to the table, you come to the Lord's table, you come to take this Lord's Supper today. What do you do with the sin? You wash your hands. In other words, 
You, you confess, you, you renew your commitment. That, that's what the Lord's Supper does is, is help us to renew that commitment. What's the commitment? Christ-likeness. That's what the commitment you made when you got saved. Somebody's baptized, what, what, what do we say? Have you accepted Christ? Have you been totally cleansed? And then the second question, will you follow him? What does following mean? Will you become more like him? Will you be committed to, to be like Christ? And that's a part of our commitment. That's a part of what he does in us. And so what we do when we come to the Lord's Supper is a good opportunity for us to wash our hands, to renew that commitment. I want you to go to another scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, Paul is, is instructing the church in Corinth about the Lord's Supper. Remember, the apostles there in the upper room, the 11 of them, I, I, I truly believe that Judas had already left. I don't think Judas partook of the Lord's Supper there. I think Jesus, before that happened, told him as Satan entered him, go and do it quickly. In other words, you've had your last opportunity, Judas. And so Judas went out to betray him. So there the 11 heard the instruction Jesus gave them. As often as you eat of this bread, drink of this cup, do it and remember it's me. The teaching of the apostle is what the new church would go by, what Jesus had instructed them. And also Paul. Paul also received instruction from Jesus. So he was instructing the church in Corinth. But here's what he was doing. If you, if you read this, it's really a rebuke. He wasn't just telling them how to do the Lord's Supper. He was rebuking them because they had made the Lord's Supper a mockery. I, I thought about this morning and I thought... If the Apostle Paul would hear, I, th I think he would go, you're getting it. Come into, the, come into the sanctuary, Reverend. Because he would have memory of writing to the church in Corinth where, I mean, they would, they, it was a party. They'd get drunk. <laughs> they, they, would, they, they wouldn't share with poor people. I mean, they were, they were selfish. I mean, it just was a mockery. And so he was writing to correct them. I, Pick up the story. Notice what he says here. Chapter 11, starting in uh, verse 17. Well, let's go down to verse 20. He says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? That's a pretty heavy rebuke. What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. And then here's some instruction. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you, do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Now, get the context here. Go back into the Gospels. You can read the accounts that Luke gives and Matthew and Mark, but they all talk about how there at the Passover, that they had done hundreds of years, Jesus now says, all right, you see this unleavened bread? Bread was a common part of the meal, the Passover meal. He would break it, and he said, 
this now symbolizes my body. And, and eat it in remembrance of me. And we take a cup. And I, I, I found this cup, Pat. I called her last night. I said, Pat, you got one of these cups? I, Jesus maybe used a nice cup like this, brass or copper or whatever it is. I probably maybe used a wooden cup. But he held it up, and same thing. A cup was pretty important in the Passover meal. There's four times that they would refer to the cup. On the third time, Jesus would take that cup, and he would hold it up, and he would say, this cup, now I want you to drink, and it will symbolize my blood. Now, you think about that if you'd have been sitting there that night. Huh? I mean, the Passover had great symbolism for the Jews. They knew exactly what each little item meant. It was all symbolic. And now he was changing the symbols. The bread, I mean, the bread, unleavened bread was about getting out of Egypt quickly because it was unleavened. They didn't have time to put leaven in. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. Hey, just put it in the oven. Let's eat it and get. Now the bread would be his body. And when we eat it, it's like we're eating his body. Now, I don't believe it turned into his body. Some people believe that way. I, I think you find consistent throughout the New Testament that they never believed that they were actually eating his flesh. But it was a symbol of his flesh. And then, you know, the cup, the cup had different symbols as they would drink the wine from it. And now he holds it up and he says, hey, this red stuff is now blood. It's like blood that you're drinking. I just sit there and went, can we not go back to the Passover? <laughs> and yet, that would be the turning point. And from there, the early church would, every time that they would eat, I, Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. Now, for us, it's a service like this. You know, you, you, when you saw this on your chair, you know, Lord's Supper. The disciples, I believe, they did it when they would gather together. When the early church gathered together, they would eat. And so when they would be eating bread, they would go, oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's remember that Jesus died on the cross. His body was sacrificed. And when they would take a cut, oh, yeah, let's don't forget. It's a formal service for us. For them, I think it was just a continual don't forget what Jesus did. But now notice... Notice what Paul concludes here. Verse 26, he says, Every time you eat this bread, drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, So, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Now, that's where I want you to stop here. Before we take this Lord's Supper, I think the Scripture is clear. That's what we're to do. First of all, if you're not saved, I hope that that's where God is dealing with you, knowing that you're, you've never experienced forgiveness. This cross, I mean, it's a Christian symbol, but it really doesn't have meaning to you personally. You've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers on this cross. And so maybe this morning, right where you are, you know that this Lord's Supper has invited you this morning 
to trust Jesus as your Savior. That you will repent of your sin and, and, and put your trust in what he did for you on the cross and receive it as a gift. And you can do that. The Bible says, by calling upon his name. The thief on the cross, when Jesus was crucified on that Friday, I mean, there's another thief over here on this side that the Bible says started to, to just kind of rag Jesus like the other thief, but then something happened. Something happened in this thief's heart, and he began recognizing that this man had nothing to die for. He was innocent. I, I think God was working in his heart. And the Bible says he looked at Jesus and said, remember me. And Jesus looked back at him and said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say a sinner's prayer. He didn't get baptized, but I believe he's in heaven. We'll see him someday. So maybe this morning where you are, God is just leading you to the point of being here and hearing this about the cross, seeing what the scriptures say so that you can trust him.